Good job. Good morning. We are continuing our series through the book of Daniel titled Working for the Man as we explore what does it mean to be a Christian in the workplace and not just the workplace but your workplace. Uh, And as part of this we've been inviting uh, folks and we will be inviting folks to come up and share with what does it mean to be a Christian where they work and in their profession. This morning we've got Melanie Morrison. She's going to come up and share with us. So you can welcome Melanie. It wouldn't hurt anybody. I forgot the questions last time, but I, I got them now. Yeah, I know you know. All right, Melanie, tell tell everybody what your function is in uh, in the, the professional world Monday through Friday. Um, I'm a teacher. I teach at Warren Central High School. I've been teaching for going on eight years and... Uh, six of those eight are at Warren Central. All right, good. So, what does it mean for you to be a Christian at work? Um, I think that it's having a different perspective on things. Uh, when I work, every day when I go to work, I not only am I an employee of the county schools and my school, but I'm a servant of God. And when you have that different perspective, then you tend to see things that you would miss if you didn't have that. Um, the second thing I think that um, how it's different is I always think of when I was in high school, we did the Experiencing God Bible study, and one of the truths is that God is always at work around you. And when you're a Christian and you're working, um, knowing that truth um, opens up doors that um, you might miss. Mm-hmm. Is that easy or hard to do at Warren Central? I would say it's really hard. Uh, You know, Christians um, still have personality conflicts, and you've still got to deal with people who are lazy and don't do their job, and you've still got to deal with freshmen in high school who are sometimes annoying. And sometimes I really just want to say what I I really want to say, but I can't. I have to remember that um, they know I'm a Christian, and they watch every little thing that I do. And so sometimes the other way it's really hard is um, in our school, um, sometimes I get very frustrated. And the times that I would say it's the hardest is when I see injustice, um, when I see kids that um, have to deal with their parents' mistakes and it's just not fair or the system fails them. um, That's the times that I think it's the hardest because even though I do know that there's a God that will take care of them, I just want to say, God, how did it ever get to this point? Yeah. Uh, Give an example here of how being a Christian has led you to do your work differently. Okay. Uh, When I moved to Bowling Green, I had no idea about Warren Central. I just, I got a job there. And um, when I tell people what I do, they'll say, well, what do you do? And I say, I teach. Oh, what do you teach? Freshman government and geography. They're like, oh. And then they ask, where do you teach? And I say, Warren Central. And they go, do you like it? And I say, of course I like it. I wouldn't teach anywhere else. And that for me, an example of growing to know that God has me in that place for this time, um, to me is an example. And it's taken years for me to learn that. Um, and the other part is that, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but Learning to love people um, is, is another example for me. Uh, we have a very diverse school, and we have a lot of people that 
look differently than me and they speak a different language and they're from a different culture and they praise a different God and learning to love them um, because God loves them. And just because I'm an American or I'm white doesn't make me any more entitled to the cross than they are. Um, And through an experience I had that really opened my eyes up that I'm just as much a child of God as they are. And so I'm called to love them. And what you talk about that? Just this is an example of how how you've seen God at work at at your school. Uh, last year, I started teaching what we call a global learning academy class, a GLA class, and basically what that is is when students and most of our students who come into this class, uh, most of them come through the refugee center. So when they come into Bowling Green. A lot of them have no English skills, and they would go into what we call the newcomer class. The GLA class is the next step up. So it's kind of the go-between the newcomer class and ESL collaboration, which is where they go into the mainstream with English-speaking kids. So the GLA class, I started teaching that, and it's extremely overwhelming. Um, We have kids from all over the world. Two months ago, they could have been in Thailand, and now they're here in my classroom. I have students from um, Iraq. Um, Her father was an Iraqi man that worked for the United States government, and the Iraqi men killed him because of that and tried to kill her brother, and so they were on the flee. Um, I had students who I was talking earlier that have a student from Burundi, and uh, he wrote in a story that the first time ever he saw a bed was when he came to the United States, and his family didn't know what it was. So they slept on the floor the first night, and they had to call somebody and ask them what it was um, and what it was used for. Uh, So those types of kids are the kids that are in this class. And every year I I have them write their stories. I have all my kids write their stories. I think it's a great opportunity for them to share their voice and their story when a lot of times teenagers' voices are kind of pushed to the side. So I decided to do this with this class, which is um, extremely difficult because of their reading and writing skills. So I started on this adventure, and um, we were in the process of writing it. And one day um, I went by this young lady who is 17, and she's from the Middle East. And she, I asked her a question, just a basic question. She had written something about her mother in her paper. And I just asked her a basic question, and that led to a conversation Um, that I really thought I'd never, ever deal with in my teaching career. And I can assure you that nobody ever prepared me for. Um, But she kept talking about how she was 17, and when she turned 18, her mother was going to kick her out of the house and that nobody would want her. And I was like, yes, you know, you are valuable, blah, blah, blah. And she said, no, I have this problem. And I said, well, what problem are you talking? Do you mean medical problem? And she said, yes. And this, to make a very long story short, she told me how she was having medical issues due to the fact that she had been a victim of female genital mutilation twice. And um, her mother thought that those issues were behavior issues that she was just acting out when she really had no control over it. And this, these issues could potentially kill her, um, but she is Muslim. And her mother did not want to take care of this issue. So she had opened up with me. And at first, I just just sat there because I was like, I have no idea what to say. So I just, I I understood what I had to do and I knew what I should do. And I just told her, you are valuable and I love you and I love you because God loves you. And um, Jesus died on a cross for you. And um, 
you are you are worth more than you'll ever know. And this opened up a relationship with us where I knew what she needed. She needed help. She needed medical help. So that started the adventure. Um, No one here in Bowling Green is equipped to help her. So we had to go through the offices in Bowling Green to get to a specialist in Louisville. And um, that was back before school let out last year. And uh, when we got to the offices here, her mother showed up and which are scary. And I called, um, the guy, the board that's kind of over all of our ESL students and said, you know, here's the situation. We need a female Somali translator to translate for this girl's mother. And which is kind of funny because those don't, you know, there's not a large supply of those in Bowling Green. And, um, ironically, there had been a young woman who had dropped off an application that day. Um, and so he called her and said, hey, you got a job. Let's, you need to come do this. So when we got to the doctor, um, the young lady was telling, we were just talking, and she had been through the exact same thing. And she was Muslim, and I just said, I just want you to know you are a God sent. I cannot tell you how God has used you today and will continue to use you. And her and I actually had a relationship, and we kept in contact till um, the end of the summer, and she moved. But since then... Um, the young, my student has missed an appointment. Her mother would not take her, um, at the beginning of the summer to the specialist in Louisville. So we had another appointment that was supposed to happen this last week and they had to call and cancel. So I wish I could have like a good ending to this story, but we're in the middle of it. And, um, I know that God will take care of it. He has orchestrated too many things for us, for it to be dropped right now. So that's one way that I see God at work. That's awesome. And and let's just close with this question here about prayer. How, how do you work to incorporate prayer in with your with your work? Most of the times, it's I'm praying for patience. <laughs> I heard a kid, but um, I pray on the in the car all the, uh, every day. Um, usually, there's some kids on my heart. Um, and this week, I had a situation that was really heavy on my heart, and I just pray. Um, the week before this whole situation with my student came up, I prayed, God, what do you want me to do? I just, I don't know what you want me to do. Just prepare me and let me see. And then that happened. So, uh, I usually pray that and I do lead at FCA. So that's, I don't pull my students aside and pray with them, but I do let them know that I pray for them and that I love them and I care about them. And the other way specific to this situation was uh, I got the opportunity at CIY this year to share that story and had over a thousand people pray for her. And I just never had imagined that that would happen. But that's one way I know um, that I pray and that situations in my school are prayed for. Awesome. Well, thank you, Melanie. Appreciate it. I'd like to take some time to pray for Melanie and um, for the student. But also, if you work in the school, just put your hand up so that way those around you can see you. Just If you work in the public school system, I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. Put your hand up. Everybody look around. Find somebody. You may not know their name. But let's just take some time. We're going to pray for them right now. Gracious Lord, we come to you. And right now we lift up all of those people in this room that work uh, in our public school system here in Bowling Green and Warren County. Lord, we lift up all of our students that are attending schools here in Bowling Green and Warren County. 
Lord, I'm so thankful for the uh, incredibly strong witness of those that I know that are here working in our school system, working as, as light and salt, uh, as those that are compassionate and truthful. And Lord, I, I lift them to you and ask that your strength would be their strength, that your wisdom would be their wisdom, that your spirit would be their spirit. Lord, for Melanie and this girl in particular, Lord, we do lift them up and we pray that you would be at work in this situation. Lord, how it resolves, we are not sure, but we are confident that you are in control. And so, Lord, we just leave this entire situation, this young lady, in your very capable hands. And I pray that Melanie and those that surround her would be uh, continually available as they, as they already are uh, to, to help. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. What have you been doing what you do for a long time? I know that. Melanie said she's been teaching for eight years. Some of you have got, you know, like three times on her. Uh, whether you teach or whether you work someplace else, you know what you're doing and, and you do it really well. And, and I know that. And, and most days you get by just fine. You really do. You get by just fine. But then there are those days. You know what I'm talking about? Those days, those days that just show up and all of a sudden... You're thinking to yourself, kind of like, Melanie, I, I, I don't remember having a class on this particular subject. I don't remember where we covered this in orientation. It was absent. All of these things. And in most days you do all right. But then there are those days that just sort of erupt and explode onto the scene. And you're like, wow, what are we going to do now? Uh, Daniel uh, is, is a guy that's working for the man and in chapter 2 that we'll look at here in a second, if you got your Bible, you may want to flip over there. In chapter 2, you'll find Daniel there. And Daniel finds himself not in the middle of most days, but in the middle of one of those days. That's where Daniel finds himself. And Daniel, when he comes to this, one of these days, he finds himself praying. And that's really what I want to hone in on today is, is, is how, do we, how do we incorporate faith and work and, and what does prayer look like in that? Tim Keller uh, has spent a lot of time thinking about this. He talks about the balance of faith and work. And I really want you to hear this. If, if you are, are out working and you have faith, okay, that's all of you, pay attention. He says, when you make work your identity, if you're not successful, it destroys you. Uh, because it goes to your heart, it destroys your self-worth. If you're successful, it destroys you, because it goes to your head. If you're successful and you've made faith your identity, he says, it, it destroys you because it goes to your head. If you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. He says, faith in Christ gives you an identity that's not in work or accomplishment, and that gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful, you have some ballast. Work is a great thing when it is a servant instead of a Lord. And I'll tell you, church, I think that it's prayer that, that provides us the balance here of faith and work. But it's not just uh, an exercise in, in good you know, self-understanding to be praying at work and be praying for your work. It's not it. As Melanie has testified, prayer not only just helps you stay balanced, but it also gives you power to do what you could not do by yourself. 
You see, God gives us the strength to do what needs to be done. Uh, And Daniel finds that happening here in the middle of one of those days. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 says this, In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So what does the king do? He dials his his astrology helpline. Miss Cleo to the rescue, he says, So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. Uh, He goes on to explain that here's what's going to happen, Chaldeans. I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream, but I'm a little suspicious of all of you there at the Royal Astrology Helpline. I think you've been pulling a fast one on me. He says, so in order that I would know that your interpretation of the dream has come from God and not from yourself, I want you to not only tell me what the dream means, but I want you to tell me what the dream is. Now, we would all say here, well, that's that's impossible. And in fact, it is. Nobody there is in King Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Nobody there has had King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So how is it that anybody there could tell the king his dream? And if you don't know the dream, how can you tell him what it means? At this time, dream interpretation, they had kind of got down to what they considered a science. They had books of what things and dreams meant. And so if the king had dreamed about a pig, they would look it up in the book and, oh, it's here, pea pig. Pig means that you're going to have a good winner. Okay, let's write that down. And they write that down and they'd put all this stuff together and then they'd formulate for him this dream report and they'd give it to the king and, and, and interpret it for him. That's how it worked. But at this point, the king says, no, I'm not going to play that game. This dream, it seems almost like he understands that it has come from God. And he says, I want to know what God, God's interpretation of it is. And so he presents this task. He says, listen, I want you to tell me what my dream was. I want you to tell me what my dream meant. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's that. Have a nice day. If you can tell me what it is, I'll give you riches and wealth and I'll elevate you because clearly you know what's going on. But if you can't, you're going to lose your head. And the magicians, they protest and they say, well, wait a second. No wise men can do that. No magician can do that. And, and as a matter of fact, no king has ever asked it before. Who, who are you, Nebuchadnezzar, to ask of us the impossible? And Nebuchadnezzar says, you're just trying to buy some time. What's done is done. What's decided is decided. That's it. And so we see that they go out to to execute all of the wise men. The text says that they have to go look for Daniel. Uh, You see, it's here that Daniel all of a sudden gets confronted with this, uh, is your first point here, with this impossible and potentially fatal task. Daniel's not there for the, the big powwow. Daniel's not there for the big conversation. Daniel is fresh out of the uh, wise man you, you know, wise man university. He's just fresh out of there. He's got his, his diploma hanging up in his, his, his house. He's still got three roommates because he hasn't launched his career successfully. And we see that Daniel is there still wet behind the ears. Maybe he's still in school. You know, that's one of the things we're not sure. Is Daniel actually out of this 
development program that uh, that makes such wise men as the king is about to execute? Or, or has he in fact graduated? We're not sure. But regardless, Daniel finds himself and somebody knocks on his door and says, Hey, Daniel, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to have to kill you because nobody can tell the king what his dream is or what it means. I hope you have a good rest of the day. I'd have a really nice meal tonight. That would be what I would do. Um, and that's, that's how Daniel finds out. So what does Daniel do? Well, I've thought about a lot of things Daniel might do. Daniel might try to, to go to the king and say, Hey, listen, listen, all these guys that work for you, they're, they're jokers. They're all jokers. All these guys here. You, you don't, there's not a good one in the whole group. That's why they can't tell you what the dream is. Now, listen, I, I'm just newly graduated. I'm still getting settled. Um, you know, I'm not fully prepared to handle this right now, but, but why don't you keep me around a little bit? We'll, we'll have one more try at this, and, and we'll see. You know, he could, he could sort of play the I'm new. You know, I'm the new guy. You don't need to execute me. I'm the new guy. You know, we, we could try it that way. You know, it's something to spare his neck. But, but that's not what Daniel does. Let's look here at what Daniel's response is. Uh, pick up here in verse 13. It says, The decree was issued, and the wise men were about to be executed, and they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion. If somebody's about to execute you, this really is the only way to respond. He says to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who'd gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon, he asked Arioch, the royal official, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in, uh, we imagine, to the king and requested that the king give him time and he would tell the king the interpretation. Uh, that word there, he. He would tell the king the interpretation. Do you get the sense of what Daniel's meaning look like. Daniel goes to the king and he comes into the courtroom and he says, hey, listen, don't execute those guys because I'm going to tell you what your dream is and what your dream means. We call this take responsibility. Daniel doesn't dodge. Daniel doesn't hide. Daniel doesn't say, well, we'll all give it a shot. And if we don't, then then it's lost. He goes and he says, hey, listen, I've got this. I have got this. You don't execute them because I am going to tell you, me, I'm going to tell you what your dream means. Give me some time. He doesn't have a lot of time, it appears, because verse 17 says he runs home to pray. Uh, then Daniel went home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to stop playing the video games. Oh, they didn't have those back then. Uh, but these are guys right out of college. It, to tell them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Uh, let's just stop here for a second. There's a few things. Uh, the first is this, is that it's Daniel's confidence in God that saves him and his colleagues. And it's also Daniel's confidence in God that allows him to take responsibility for this task. As I thought about this too, I thought, you know, what would our response be? You know, we might go to the king and if we did have the courage to take responsibility, he said, all right, listen, I think I might be able to do this. If you give me some time, I need to pray about it. You know, we sort of got this uncertainness. You know, we sort of walk through a lot of life and faith with a lot of uncertainty. I'm not quite sure if I can. I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure if I should. I'm not sure if I shouldn't. I need some time to pray about this. That's sort of been our standard response. That's not going to cut it in Daniel's work environment. It's probably not going to cut it in yours either. But Daniel doesn't have to do that. Daniel goes. He says to the king, he says, hey, listen, I got this. 
And it's only after that that he then goes to God in prayer. It's Daniel's confidence then that leads him to pray in faith. And then you know what else I notice here? It's just that he gets a vision of the night. I read that as dream. Now, I'll tell you, scholars are divided on what happened. No, nobody was there. Um, but scholars are divided. Did Daniel and his companions, did they stay up all night and pray until they got a vision from God? I don't see that that's what this text says. It says they prayed, and then he gets a vision of the night. A vision of the night is a dream. You get dreams frequently when you're asleep. Let me ask you, you're about to be executed tomorrow because none of the wise men can interpret the dream. You're about to lose your head. Do you get a good night's rest? Probably not. There'll be a lot of time to sleep tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Why, why do it right now? Why? But, but Daniel's not bothered. It seems to me that Daniel prays, that Daniel has this incredible prayer life. And as we go through the rest of the book of Daniel, we'll see that that is the case. Daniel is constantly praying to God. He is constantly hearing from God. He is constantly being led by God. And so when Daniel is faced with a situation, he doesn't have to ask, God, are you going to do something? Because God has shown up in Daniel's life. God has shown up in answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel has prayed and he's seen God work time and time and time again. And I bet that he, like many of you, and as Melanie talked about, went to work that morning praying, say, God, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I know it's going to be amazing. I'm ready to see something happen. And what happens? All of a sudden, God shows up. Daniel doesn't have to pray because he knows that God's going to show up. And you're going, man, that'd be great to have that kind of confidence in God. Well, let me tell you, you can have it. If you're willing to have the kind of prayer life that Daniel had. You have the kind of prayer life that Daniel had. You do the kind of time and work that Daniel did in prayer with God. And you will see that kind of confidence grow. It could be that way for you. All right. So Daniel's confidence in God leads him to pray in faith. And then let her see here. Daniel delivers the impossible. And what does he do? He gives glory to the God who makes all things possible. Uh, let's pick up here with Daniel's praise. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are His. That's critical. We'll pause for a second. So often we think wisdom and power are ours. I mean, we're the ones that are spending the time learning, developing ourselves. We're the ones spending our time building up our strength. Uh, you know, these are those kinds of things that we do. But Daniel says, Now, time at school, time in the gym, time at Wiseman U, it doesn't really compare to God's wisdom, it doesn't compare to God's power. Because God is, verse 21, the one who changes times and seasons. He's the one who deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power, and have now revealed to me what we asked of you. For you have revealed to us what the king ordered. We'll skip down here. To verse 26, the king said to Daniel after he's brought in, he says, are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered, no, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show the king the, the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these then Daniel goes on to tell the king what his dream was. Uh, but here we see that 
Daniel is not afraid to give God the glory. You know, this could have been played out so many different ways. Daniel could have been like, hey, uh, I told you the interpretation. The rest of these guys, they don't know anything. I don't know why they're still working for you. You should get rid of them. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't even take glory for himself. He says, you know what? God has helped me with this situation. God helped me with this task. Now, I know for a lot of you going, I, I don't know that I, I can pray for what I do. You know, I, I feel weird praying maybe for my work or for what I do. But, but let me tell you, throughout Scripture, there's a long history of people praying in a diverse set of jobs. I mean, Daniel works for the Royal Astrology Helpline, okay? And he finds himself praying. Nehemiah, he's a construction foreman, all right? He builds a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And what is his life marked with? It's marked with prayer. God is interested in your work. God is interested in giving you the wisdom and the power that you need to do the impossible, to do the difficult. God wants to give you the strength, the power, and the wisdom to do what needs to be done. And he also wants you to share that with others, you know. And yet we feel weird about that. All right, well, let's think. How are we going to live this out tomorrow? Monday morning shows up, the alarm goes off, we may get to work. How are we going to do this? Uh, let's start with this. On Monday morning, I, I challenge you to invite God to work with you through prayer. Uh, intentionally bring God with you. Now, I, I know what you want. Well, God's already there. Well, yeah, that's true. But are you aware of that fact? <laughs> if you've not prayed about it, maybe you're not. I, invite God to come to work with you. Say, God, would you show up to work with me today? And better yet, God, would you help me to be fully present with you? You're going to be present with me all day. But I really want to. In every conversation, situation, circumstance, and task, I want to be present with you. Pray first here for the difficult challenges you'll face and then face them. I, I, I love of all of the story how Daniel was not paralyzed by the task. He knew how to face it. He knew how God would come through. And Daniel, like many of you, probably had the, the training, the skills, and the experience that on most days Daniel could get through it. On most days, Daniel could not even pray and probably still go home with his head attached to his body. The stakes were high for Daniel. Uh, he could probably do that. But he knew that there were those days that came. And on those days, they, they kind of sneak up on you. You normally don't know when they're going to show up. But on those days, Daniel knew that he was going to need God's help. And so he was constantly praying to God. Often we're paralyzed, waiting for God's guidance. But so often we wait when we should be going. The truth of the matter is that we don't have to wait to pray. We can be praying right now. We can be praying for the difficult things to come. James tells us if you ask God for wisdom, He's going to give it to you. Why are we not praying for that right now? Pray for these difficult challenges in your work. Pray for the difficult co-workers that you work with and then face them. This is B here. Pray on behalf of your colleagues. The people you work with. Daniel 2.18. What does Daniel say? He tells his friends to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Now, now let's just think about who are the rest of the wise men of Babylon. The rest of the wise men of Babylon in a few chapters will tell the king that he really should throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. These are the kinds of co-workers that they have. You go a little bit further, and in a few chapters we'll get to Daniel in the lion's den. It is these wise men, these same people, that, that convince the king that really what he ought to do is outlaw praying to God so that way they can have Daniel thrown to the lion's den. Okay? 
These are the kinds of co-workers Daniel's got. I don't know who you work with, but I'm pretty sure they're not nearly as scheming or at least have access to as much violent power as the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It would have been awfully convenient for Daniel to say, hey, you know what, let's pray that we're delivered and that God rids us of all of these terrible, crafty people we work with. But that's not what Daniel does. Daniel says, let's pray for those guys too. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's been around for a little while. Let me tell you, you want to see God do amazing things at the place where you work? You want to see God do amazing things in the people you work with? Then pray for those people. Pray for those people. Third, let's pray for confidence to give God glory in all things. You know, if you're not bold for your faith in your office, let me tell you, step one is to pray for boldness. You don't pray to be annoying or obnoxious. Just bold. Just clear. You know, if, if you're praying for help in a project, and they say, man, that was, you did that well, would it be so wrong to say, you know, I really prayed about this, and I think God helped me in this. Oh, that's an incredible statement of humility and an incredible statement of faith. You know, uh, you handle that person well. I, I, can't, I can't take it when these people come in and they're difficult and they start being mad and angry at me. I'm just doing my job. You handle that with grace. How did you do that? Say, you know, I, I came to work today. I know I was going to face some difficult people. I, I decided I was going to pray about it. I, I really think God helped me with that. Church, let me tell you, the reason we're not bold and we're not clear is, is maybe because we're not praying, we're not asking, we're not inviting God there. And, and maybe it is that we're just too afraid. Jesus said that we needed to pray for workers to go out into the harvest field. And let me tell you, when you pray for that, you're praying for yourself. You're praying for yourself. So this morning, I want to, get, I want to give a challenge. I want to challenge for you to pray at work and pray for your work. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you pray? Well, maybe we better start with that. Do you pray? When, when work gets tough or a project's challenging, are you in prayer? When work is monotonous and mundane and it's sucking the life out of you, are you in prayer? Do you ask God to help you in your time of work? Now, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, I, I've got these things that are control. I, you know, I don't pray that much because I don't have to. I got it down. And you're right. Most days you've got it down. Okay? Most days you've got it down. You've done it before. You're going to do it again, and tomorrow it's going to look a lot like today because we're going to do the same thing then, too. And that's how you feel. And on most days, you're going to get through it just fine. But, but there are going to be those days. There's going to be those days when your boss is going to come and be like, hey, man, we got this really big project, and I need you to take care of this. And you know that this project is sort of like weighted. If you fail at it, it's over. If you succeed, this is a, a lightning leap year jump for your career. And it might also mean losing your family sort of all in that one fell swoop because it might just kill you to get there and get it done. It's at that point in time you need to pray. You're at work and your boss comes in and says, hey, listen, I really hate to be the one to tell you, but you know that things are difficult here lately and this is going to mean something bad for you. It's in those days that you need prayer. Most days you get through fine, but it's those days that show up. Are you going to be ready for those days? It's most days you're fine, but on those days when your coworker comes to you and says, you know what, I, I used to be sure about my faith, but I've really kind of lost faith. I feel like I've lost God in the church. I'm not sure where I've put them. My family's falling apart. I, would you just give me some guidance? I know that you go to church. Are you ready for that conversation? Most days you're fine. 
But it's on those days that you have a difficult problem. The question is, are you going to be ready for it? I, I asked a friend of mine to help with a project, a big project, and I said, uh, you know, I'd like you to help me with this. And I fully expected to get the Christian delay tactic response answer. Uh, I need to pray about it. And it was a big project, and I totally understood that. I was like, okay, you know, you, you, you need to take some time to pray about it. Okay, that's good. But, but really, pray about it. You know, don't be like, I want to pray about it, and I'm going to tell you no. Don't do that. Really pray about it. But he didn't. He said, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. And, I, and then I, wow, wait a second. Don't you need to pray about this? No, I, I, I already have. What do you mean you already have? Well, I've been praying that God was going to give, give me this opportunity. I was praying that, that something would happen. I didn't know what, but this is clearly the answer to that prayer. I've been praying about it. And the answer is yes. Let me tell you, this person, I think, is, is living out this example of Daniel. Daniel doesn't have to stop and pray because he's already been praying for his work. And when those days come, Daniel was ready. Will you be ready? Daniel understood that it is God who gives us wisdom and power, both in our church and in our families and also in our work. The question is, have you tapped in to that potential for God's wisdom and for God's power? John Piper says this so well. He says, prayer is the splicing of our limp wire to the lightning bolt of heaven. How astonishing it is that God wills to do His work through people it is doubly astonishing that he ordains to fulfill his plans by being asked to do so by us. God loves to bless his people, but even more, he loves to do it in answer to prayer. Church, your challenge this week is to pray. To pray and ask that God would give you the strength which you need to do. Both at church and in your home, but also in your work. That you would pray for your work. How would you do this practically? Real quick. I would suggest that when you go to work this week, here's your challenge, real practical. Turn your radio off for just a few minutes. You don't have to turn it off for the whole time. When NPR is running the pledge drive or when the commercials come on, you just turn it off for a second, okay? And you pray. You say, God, I'm about to get to work. And I know that these things will be happening today. I want you to be present in all of those situations. I want you to give me eyes to see where you're already at work. But God, I suspect that it might be one of those days. And if not today, maybe tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be ready for that. And then as you go through the day, take time to pray. Now, you don't have to go lock yourself in the supply room so that well, you can pray for about an hour. That's a great way to lose your job. Don't do that. But you're sitting at your desk. You've got a few minutes. You're waiting for something to load or a phone call or something to get brought to you. Or you're waiting for somebody to walk in the door. Take that time to pray. Be in prayer with God throughout the day. And just see what happens. Invite God into your work and see what happens when he, when he shows up. Uh, let's pray right now. Gracious Lord, we do invite you into uh, our, our worship, our, our homes. We invite you to this place, but Lord, we know that you're already here. And Lord, we invite you into the places where we work. And Lord, you're there already. Lord, perhaps we've not had the eyes to see and perhaps we've not asked and so you've not revealed. But Lord, this week I pray that we would take this challenge seriously. That we would take seriously bringing you to the office, bringing you to the shop, bringing you to the place that we work. God, this week, for those that would take this seriously, those that would say, you know, I'm going to pray and invite God into my work. It's something new for me. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to them. 
that you'd pour out your wisdom and power on them. And Lord, that they would see you at work in their work world. And Lord, not only that, I pray that their coworkers would take notice, that their customers would see this. And that, Lord, they would all be amazed at how you do give power to those that ask. That you, that you do give us the power to do all things, even what we do Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, church, it's our time of decision. We do this every week. That's where we open up our service for you to respond to what God's Spirit is doing in you. Perhaps you need to receive Christ. We'll invite you to come forward. Perhaps you're saying, no, I need to make a commitment to a church to serve and to fellowship and to be a part of that family. And we'll invite you to come forward and do that this morning. Others of you, perhaps the Spirit's put something else on your heart. And I don't know what that would be, but we'd be glad for you to share that with us. Uh, whatever that is, we'll invite you to come forward. And if, if that's not you, we'll ask that you just be singing the song as a prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Please be standing.